Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal, who we've had to tear away from the New Year's Day uh, college football games. Right, Bill? Right. Actually, I missed the, most of the first game yesterday. I was at a New Year's Day party, but I was getting amusing emails and messages, text messages from two very good friends here. One, Marshall Whitman, who grew up in Waco and is a huge Baylor fan. And he uh, was, you know, uh, cheerfully and, and exultingly uh, t- uh, texting me there as I was at this party uh, about <laughs> Baylor romping. And then my one of my other best friends in Washington is Spence Abraham. He was deputy chief of staff to Dan Quayle when I was chief of staff, so we go way back. And Spence is an MSU graduate, a loyal Spartan fan, and he was disconsolate. And then all of a sudden I'm getting messages from him in the fourth quarter about, whoa, one of the greatest comebacks in modern college football history. So I missed that exciting game, and uh, that was not one of the two, uh, obviously, you know, semifinals, but that was itself a pretty good game. Very good day for the Big Ten. That's my deep, my deep analysis, MSU, Wisconsin, and then Ohio State upsetting Alabama, which I did not expect. I expected Oregon to did the clobber FSU, and that happened, and that, that was nice, I thought, but uh, with all due respect to our Florida readers and listeners, but um, uh, that was a pretty impressive performance. Ohio State, the, they, you like to see those kind of replacement, what are they called in these days? They, they don't say third-string quarterback, I noticed anymore. They call them <laughs> replacement, replacement players, I think is a slightly nicer way to say right. it, but it's, it is kind of great just, you know, when one of these guys who hasn't played until the last two games comes off and wins the huge game like that. Yeah, you know, it is. College sports is so much fun because so many things can happen because emotion, the the, the, the talent right. level is such an emotion and drive can still make a difference. I'm an SEC fan, so it was a very bad day yeah. capping a very bad year for the SEC. They were just all over the place. But any day that Florida State gets humiliated is a good day. So it's a good start for 2015. I have to say, Bill, I don't know that President Obama is having such a good start. I mean, we're just barely into the year. And already his decision to uh, open doorways with Cuba to essentially legitimize the uh, the uh, dictatorship in Cuba is already causing him headaches. Yeah, the Cubans reacted by promptly locking up a whole bunch of uh, new political prisoners, having released the token number when they signed the deal with President Obama. It's just increasingly evident that he, he gets nothing from these deals. You know, these these it's one thing to have a hard-headed, hard-nosed foreign policy. I might not agree with some of the judgments they make, but at least they'd be making judgment calls, you know? This is just, uh, I don't know, you know, giving in to our opponents and enemies around the world, I think, and I think that's the way it was taken around the world. I'm very struck by that. You know, there was a case that the Cuba embargo had outlived its usefulness. There was a case even for normalizing relations, I suppose, with Cuba, if you thought it might do more to undermine the regime than, than keeping up the embargo and, and the sort of isolation. Uh, I think I think I would have been on the other side of that debate, but that's a policy debate. But what was striking is the way he did it, the way he framed it, was taken by everyone. I've talked to some people from, you know, far away from Cuba, the Europe and the Middle East, who just it just seemed like another case for the president. Uh, basically is giving our enemies what they want and not getting anything much in return. And I think that's a, we paid a big price for that image around the world in 2014. And I actually really worry that we're going to pay a bigger price in 2015. Well, it was fascinating to see the New York Times piece saying, Cuba, don't you understand? You're feeding, you're giving ammo to opponents of Obama, Obama who say you're a not a trustworthy partner, who say that you're a brutal dictatorship. And I love that. Yeah. It's like, hey, Mr. Bear, don't you understand that when you're eating these people, it makes people say you're a bear. 
Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, and if you look around the world, I mean, there was a couple of stories from Afghanistan in the last three, four days, one in the Post, one in the Times, uh, about how bad things are there, and uh, unfortunately, they're not going to get better, and uh, maybe, you know, I hope we can hang on and prevent it from just total collapse, but it seems to be heading in that direction, and that's, you know, it's just so, uh, it's such a terrible story in terms of the sacrifices uh, our guys made there, but but it's also, of course, just a terrible story in terms of what happens in that part of the world. And again, the signal that sends elsewhere in the world, and then Iraq, a very worrisome story this morning. So ISIS seems to be not, you know, they they win some little local battles, they lose some, but at the end of the day, ISIS for me is the big one. I mean, January of 2014, and this is not a partisan talking point. This is, I think, a really a true fact that people around the world have been struck by. In January 2014, President Obama said. We've, we're crushing al-Qaeda, they're on the run, and there's this, someone asked about, well, what's, what about what's happening in Iraq? And, well, that's the junior varsity. I mean, come on, they, can, they, they put on, what do you say, they put on the Lakers uniforms, it doesn't right. mean that they're the Lakers. And now ISIS controls tens of thousands of square miles and is recruiting fighters like crazy, looks like it's got the upper hand, looks like the, the strong horse, to use Osama bin Laden's formulation, and we look ineffectual against it. I mean, that's so dangerous. I see 2014 uh, as the year to get away with it from ISIS, which had this seeming, if you'd said someone at the time, you know, this this relatively small band of Islamists is going to take over territory equivalent to the size of Belgium. They're going to be taking towns in Lebanon and you know, or fighting for towns in Lebanon and Turkey. People would have said, oh, that's crazy. But ISIS just got away with it. They, no one stood up to fight them and they kept growing and growing and they were the JV team in Russia. If someone had said the Russians are going to change the map of Europe by force, they're going to leave forces inside eastern Ukraine and they're going to shoot an airplane uh, passenger jet out of the sky and get away with it, you'd have said, no way, there'll be horrible uh, consequences. And yet in 2014, it turns out the bad actors had pretty much open run of the field, it seems. No, I think that's right. I mean, there's a Churchill line from the late 30s when I've got to go look up, so I've got to be year. I used to quote it a few years ago, and I thought, uh, the era of consequences is now upon us or something like that, saying that we're not going to start paying a we, Britain, at that time, we're going to start paying a price for the failure to rearm in the 30s and for appeasement in the 30s. And I do think that began to happen in 2014. It was the year Obama's foreign policy was mugged by reality, and unfortunately, Obama hasn't changed. I mean, conservatives like to criticize Obama to, with Carter. I think we think that's like the, ultimately neg- the ultimate negative thing we can say about any American president. Carter did change in late 79 and 1980, increased defense spending, at least tried to get tough on the Soviets, tried to rescue the hostages in Iran, used military force. It didn't work, but, um, you know, and he wasn't any good anyway, and it was great that Reagan beat him, but at least there was some pivot to lay the groundwork for Reagan to really take over and accelerate things in the right direction. I really worry that the next president, even if it's, you know, the best president in the world, uh, Obama's digging an awfully deep hole for him to get us out of. Uh, so as you look forward into 2015, uh, which seeds planted last year do you see blossoming in either good or bad ways? I mean, for example, has the economy turned around? We had a quarter with 5% growth, which is, you know, would have been no big deal in the Reagan recovery, but in the year of the Obama recovery, it's amazing. Um, are we going to see uh, the fact that Republicans won? Will they be able to take that victory to build some momentum and unity for a coherent, you know, counter story to the Obama narrative? What do you see for 2015? 
Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think we get a little economic recovery here, thanks mostly to falling energy prices, which is good. And really, thanks to the Republican Congress, which probably deserves a little more credit than it, it's gotten for reducing the deficit, keeping federal spending flat. I mean, we've had a little test case here. We've constrained spending. The federal government's share of GDP has gone down, I think, something like from 24% to 20% maybe over the last three or four years. It's not Keynesian simulating in a Keynesian way. It's presumably what Paul Krugman would have denounced and say this is exactly what's going to lead to a recession. And instead, we have had the fastest growth for the last two quarters. So a little more money for the private sector to invest, for people to hire uh, people and so forth. And I still think it's a very sluggish recovery. And I, I think the job situation, the working class, middle class America situation is bad. Uh, I think Republicans need to focus on that. Uh, they shouldn't get, you know, change their message because of one quarter or two quarters of economic data. Middle class Americans have had a crummy couple of decades. And there needs to be, I think, the one thing I've struck by thinking about the last couple of weeks, there needs to be a bigger agenda, a bolder agenda, really, that at least presidential candidates, maybe you can't expect Congress to do this, but presidential candidates need to to think about looking at the Republican field, which I like, and which I think is going to be a place where there'll be healthy competition. I worry that people aren't thinking big enough and bold enough. I think that's what the country wants. I think if we have a small ball election, Hillary Clinton could win. You know, she's more experienced. She's the first woman. It'll become, you know, trench warfare, sort of like 2012 all over again. Democrats will mobilize their voters a little better than Republicans will. She'll win by, you know, three, four points. The Republicans need to make it a bigger election. Uh, it should be a bigger election. And I'm, I'm really going to look at the candidates to see who has a bigger bolder agenda. Okay, I have to ask on behalf of some of our weekly standard podcast listeners, you did a fascinating list of candidates, inviting them all to yeah. jump into the race. One name, just I know, it, you know, Bill, you're busy, you're trying to keep track of all your favorite college football teams, you're still yeah. as fascinated by Harvard's amazing season. Rand Paul didn't seem to make that list, Bill. Hmm. Well, let's just say a word about Harvard, the only undefeated Division One football team in 2014. Yes. We should which thanks to FSU's loss, so we should we should note that. Somehow it's not getting the kind of it's not getting the kind of media coverage I would expect. People seem obsessed with Oregon and you know uh, Ohio State. I can't understand it. Uh, Rand Paul. Well, my list really was uh, people who I thought would be an improvement over Hillary Clinton, an ambiguous improvement. And I got to say, I Rand Paul's foreign policy worries me so much that, that I can't imagine myself voting for Hillary Clinton. I could sort of imagine myself. Uh, not voting for Rand Paul, so I didn't include him. I probably did it just to provoke Rand Paul followers out there, and they seem to be, judging from Twitter at least, they seem to be, and from some of the emails coming to the Weekly Standard, mm -hmm. they've been duly provoked. But obviously he'll run, and look, I, I'm, I welcome him in the race too, honestly, in the sense that I think it's a good debate. The foreign policy debate, I think the uh, Rand Paul is not going to win, and I think that'll be good to hash it out in the party and make clear that the Republican Party is the party of American strength. Uh, and I am encouraged by the field, and I think it's a it's a good bunch. And I I just hope people don't sort of take themselves out, get intimidated, say, oh my God, we have to coalesce early. I think Jeb Bush's emergence early it could be healthy in the sense that I think it's it's sort of a test of the other candidates. And I'd say Marco Rubio is the first one. If Marco Rubio now in the next week or two says, you know, I have great respect for Jeb Bush. He was a mentor of mine in Florida, a great governor. But you know what? I'm running. I think I have something different to offer, and I hope we'll have, I'm sure we'll have a respectful campaign, but I'm not intimidated by Jeb Bush. I think that would be impressive. I think someone like, I would feel this way, that, you know what, Marco Rubio just showed a certain kind of uh, uh, gutsiness that 
he hasn't really had to show quite as much in the last two, three, four years. Um, and I think that'll be true of other candidates jumping in. So in a way, Bush, if Bush runs a great campaign, has a forward-looking vision, isn't just running on his name and on his record of 10 years ago, then he, if he wins, then he maybe he'll deserve to win. But if someone beats Bush, in a way, it makes him a more impressive, I think, nominee than maybe would have otherwise been the case, sort of like Obama beating Clinton in 2007, 2008. So I'm not a big fan of nominating Jeb Bush, but I think uh, beating Jeb Bush could actually be a real credential for a younger candidate to, uh, who, who then wins the nomination. Uh, one last question about 2015, looking forward in the presidential uh, aspect. Will 2015 be the year that the establishment money nexus finally realizes how bad their record has been? <laughs> since 1992 and start saying, hey, maybe we should invite the grassroots people and maybe we should have a longer nominating process so these candidates can really knock the rust off and end up with a winner, something that we haven't had since 1980. No, I think the establishment's pretty, uh, they're pretty set in their ways oh. and they've got a million excuses for why things have uh, screwed up. And their view of 2014 is that they knocked out some of the unwinnable Tea Party candidates and we had a good year, and, and basically they had a cautious strategy. I kind of think we had a good year despite some of those things, or at least those things were kind of neutral. We had a good year because of Obama primarily, and because we had some excellent young candidates. But the way they see it is, is sort of different. So I think the establishment's kind of set in their ways, and they're not going to learn much. They're going to have to be defeated. Uh, well, uh, then I say 2015, we've got something fun to do. Let's get to it. <laughs> Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. Hey, my pleasure, Michael. Happy New Year. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.